This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Hello and welcome to Disaster Girls, a podcast about disaster movies. I'm your host, Amanda Smith, and with me today, we have Colleen Haggerty. Colleen, welcome. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you. So what movie have you brought us today? Today, we are talking about Deep Impact the classic asteroid movie it, it it is one of the one of the two most seminal asteroid movies of the 90s <laughs> for sure that came out at the almost exact same time yeah <laughs> yeah so what um did you have like did you see it at the time in theaters is this a movie that you've enjoyed like what kind of brought deep impact to mind when we talked about doing i know we we've discussed doing this for a while so what was it about deep impact at the time and now that appealed to you about it Yes. So, you know, I did not see it in theaters. I actually am not sure I'd ever seen the full movie before I just did this rewatch. I think I'd seen bits and pieces of it on TV throughout the years. So like Mm -hmm. definitely had seen the asteroid bits, but it was worth, I mean, there was a lot more to the plot than I had realized or at least remembered. But what made me think about it was that NASA mission last fall where Mm -hmm. they actually like tried to deflect and successfully did deflect and or move an asteroid's um path of orbit so i saw that happen and thought huh this would be a good time to rewatch deep impact absolutely yeah and then you just said that you had just searched it and they found out that there's like actually been more changes than they expected so it's every time is a good time to watch deep impact apparently <laughs> apparently it is and also i mean the sequel writing itself as we speak. <laughs> Hopefully not, but we'll see. We'll oh, see what know, happens. Now in the scheme of things. Acting, what was the specific phrase? Like unexpected? Yes. Asteroid hit by NASA spacecraft is behaving unexpectedly, which is a level of vagueness that one doesn't hope to hear um, in the news very often about science. Like, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'm not sure that I want anything to behave unexpectedly according to what science it scientists expected to happen. I, I'm not I'm not loving that aspect, but yeah. Also, it feels like it's really doing the disaster movie like classic track of the hubris of being like, we did it, we moved the asteroid like we <laughs> wanted, and now it's behaving unexpectedly. That yeah. <laughs> follows the genre. <laughs> You're completely right. The only thing that we're really missing at this point is like an elder statesman and a actress who was probably popular at this point in the 80s, I would assume, timeline wise. And then we're practically at a disaster movie. Yeah, well, the ingredients are piling up. (laughs) So uh, just as a quick recap, Deep Impact, the premise is um, a young boy, Leo Biederman, discovers a comet that was previously unknown and it is of course headed directly toward earth the size of mount everest it's an extinction level event it is discovered by the intrepid reporter jenny played by taya leone and then the movie is about humanity trying to either stop it or survive it um it's pretty straightforward so let's i guess dive right in um (laughs) let's start with personally for me at watch because i've watched it now several like as you have it's it, this was on AMC constantly. Uh, all the time. All the to time. To this day. I saw it on a flight like yeah. two days ago. I caught just the ending that happened to be playing on AMC. 
Yeah, it's oh, it's constant. This was when I watched it. I did like it was just streaming on AMC, and I was like, well, if it's unedited and it's on AMC, <laughs> I'm not gonna not. It's one of those movies that feels right to have the fade out, fade in happening in random mm-hmm. spots for commercial breaks. It just feels right. It really um, works for it. It really does. But yeah, watching it this time, one of the things that was really striking to me after like, you know, we just had here in LA, as you know, we had um, the tropical storm, Hillary, which everyone we were all very prepared for. And then it just like was a light rain, which fortunately for LA is like a good thing. It didn't, it wasn't catastrophic, but there is that aspect of it after, after a potential disaster where everyone's like, oh, everyone made a big deal out of nothing. Can you imagine being Leo Biederman having to go back to high school or middle school after (laughs) the comet named after him doesn't strike the earth and no one dies? Like the best thing that could happen. fantastic, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the best thing that could happen to him is is that the planet experienced an extinction level event because otherwise that kid's going to be humiliated in high school. And not only that, he's going back to high school with a wife and a baby. Oh, yeah. Spoilers, but we're <laughs> going to get there eventually. And he has a lot. He has a lot going on now. Yeah. So he needed that. Like the fact that the whole planet didn't get wiped out, fine. But he definitely did need at the very least the tsunami to account for all of the things that have happened in his life over the last couple of months. Because that's a rough go of it otherwise, for sure. That's true. That I mean... Probably not great that everyone's always like, oh, and then Leo Biederman and we had to rebuild all of New York City. But mm-hmm. like you said, it, for being in high school, you probably do want something. Otherwise, your life is going to be sketchy. Yeah. Rough. yeah. Everyone's just going to give you shit for the fact that your comet never did anything. <laughs> it would be brutal. Would not Leo. Really yeah. a roller coaster for him, this movie. <laughs> this, this movie, true, like... Leo has for sure the most things happening to him in this movie, possibly of any 14-year-old ever in a film. Yeah. And also Elijah Wood, like back in the day when he played like the guy you root for. Now I feel Mm -hmm. like he's always the creepy character where he comes on screen and you're like, oh, he did something. Like that guy isn't here for a good reason. But in this case, very relatable. You're rooting for him for sure. Oh yeah, the nineties. The nineties were the era of Elijah. Like we, when Elijah, yeah. Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski as like the two teens in mm-hmm. who have their own little love story, but also you know are like the 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 entry point of this movie. Um, like there is that is an iconic nineties pairing. That is an iconic nineties oh, duo for sure. Like Lily Sobieski who looks like Helen Hunt grown in a test tube. <laughs> and I mean that in the most positive way possible. Wow, yes. Yes. Yes, she yeah. does. Yes. Huh. Yeah, no, she's very... Like, always good to see her. Like, she's just, like, nostalgia and, like, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. always happy when her character walks on in ev- any movie. I mean, especially Never Been Kissed is, like, oh. for me, such an iconic one for her. For sure. But, hey, she was... She was doing her thing in this movie. She's great. I mean, I, I actually I was like, what's she up to these days? And she is retired, which is honestly like good for her, but also a bummer. But I get it. Uh, yeah. For the amount of work that she was doing in the 90s and early 2000s. Take your time off. Like, enjoy not having to ever have a call time again. That's the right choice. But it is a bummer given that she's fantastic. And anytime you see her in something, she's just really, really good at it. Like she was doing Daco- what Dakota Fanning did before Dakota, like as a child actor, that kind of seriousness before Dakota Fanning. Absolutely. And I hope she is getting all of the royalties every time this movie plays on AMC, like five times a day. Uh, what? Uh, yes. What she deserves. 
again playing a child bride because this yeah. is <laughs> this is the one disaster movie with a with a child marriage, which is a, a t- interesting defining feature of it. Uh, <laughs> and like, that was, we, yeah, that was yeah. one of the things I did not remember, and maybe because I watched it when I was younger, so it was like I'm a teenager and they're teenagers. But when I started watching it, I was like, "Well, this is a strange thing to sort of champion because it." does seem to work out pretty well for them that they got married at a very young age. Well, it works out for them for surviving the apocalypse, but I can't imagine that at 25, like (laughs) every fight that they are going to have is 100% going to be him yelling, I saved your life. You married me. Her saying I want a divorce and him saying you you married me because I saved your life. Like she's going to blame him for her parents dying. He's going to hold it over her head. She's got her sister daughter. Like it's a lot. (laughs) These two kids yes. do not have I I the best thing that could happen for them is is truly divorce counseling in and like government mandated therapy for these two because it's it's a rough road ahead of them. I mean Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you do you think that Leo so okay, Leo's Leo has been given access been granted access to the arc that it's gonna save 800,000 Americans and then 200,000 who have been like specifically selected, 800,000 who are selected by lottery. And so obviously Leo, having discovered the the comet, gets himself, his parents access. And then he basically the reason that he ends up marrying Lily Sobieski is because of the fact that he's like, well, what if this girl I have a crush on? What if I marry her? Then she's family. Then she'll survive and we can bring her parents too. Um, then the parents don't come like there's miscommunication they get separated point is leo ends up at the facility and then decides he needs to go save his 14 year old girlfriend backslash wife and (laughs) which is an insane sentence um and then his parents just let him go and are just like yeah go find her he's in another state at this point because he was in virginia and the we've the the caves are all in like Oklahoma or Missouri or something they said yes not yeah. Virginia it feels not, pretty not where he was like they have yeah. definitely they rode that sad bus and got to where <laughs> they were going and there are guards everywhere and there's yeah. a bunch of people and we are in a new setting <laughs> exactly and then they're like yeah 14 year old son here take this watch and go find your child bride <laughs> What do we think the parents were thinking in that situation? Did they just accept that their son was going to die? And they're like, well, he had bad vibes. So like what was as a parent choice? Truly no idea. It felt, I mean, like the fact that he got back there, none of this tracked to me. I think this was one area where I was like the level of chaos that would be unfolding everywhere is so much higher than it would have been in this movie and I do think overall like compared to an Armageddon this has like more notes of realistic like yeah this is how politicians would treat it or like there were some areas where I was like you know what that could be true like that could work but just like the social cohesion that was still like I know we saw people outside the gates of these caves like kind of protesting and yelling, but they were overall very peaceful. And I was just like, I don't know, man, like if it's certain death or getting in that cave, I just don't think people are going to be that chill. And like, just in general, the fact that a 14 year old boy could like get a motorcycle and just like drive across a few states, like, is he getting gas for it? Like what, (laughs) there's logistics in here that do not 
add up. Um, but yeah, my note for this was just wild that Leo's parents let him leave. So I agree. It yeah. was wild. <laughs> I mean, you just at that point, and there's no like hug goodbye or acknowledgement that they are sending their son off to as far as they know, certain death. I mean, there's like even independent of whether or not there's even if there weren't a comet headed to the Earth, that's a planet killer. Sending your son with no map to just find his way back across several states is in and of itself a questionable one. But in addition, he's going specifically to find this girl who is presumably evacuated. Like he doesn't even, he goes back to their house, which is the like the worst place to check. Given yes. that, why would they still be in their house? But he's a 14-year-old boy, so of course he goes to check their house. <laughs> but as I was watching him, like, try to figure out where they had gone to the whole time, I was like, oh, the parents must have just been like, we can't. We're not We're not living through the apocalypse, hearing him say the entire time in his bunker, <laughs> you killed my wife. Yeah, that that very well could be it. I also feel like at that moment, like... Lily Sobieski did have a choice of, yeah. do I want to get on the bus with him right now or stay with my parents? And she did decide to stay with her parents. So it feels a little bit like maybe that was her choice and she wants to be with her parents and not with you, the 14-year-old boy who, like, it seemed like she did also like him. But I don't yeah. know. I got, like, much stronger crush vibes from him on her than vice versa. I think some of that was her character was not quite as developed. Like we didn't yeah. really get a ton from her, but yeah, it was, it was an aggressive chase. It was a very bold choice, I guess. In the long run, he did find her and they were able to save her baby sister. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I was very surprised. I will say this also was one of my least favorite scenes in the movie when he went back to her house because I got very hung up on the dog situation that Mm. they not only left their dog. Personally, I would take my dog with me, but my dog is very small. So I understand maybe this is an apocalypse situation. You aren't thinking very clearly. You are trying to evacuate. But they left their dog like penned in. At least give him a chance to run away and join like a neighborhood gang of dogs and get to high ground and have a shot at survival it bothered me a lot and then when her parents did die I didn't feel as sad because (laughs) I felt like that was very mean and it was an unnecessary addition in my opinion yeah I was I chose to read that personally as the dog itself had been like that that wasn't their dog that was some sort of crazy like mean dog that got penned in (laughs) by somebody else trying to break into the house and the dog like that was the headcanon I'd written but also I'm not convinced because her dad kind of seemed like he sucked. I'm not convinced that her dad didn't suck and wasn't like, we have to leave the dog. We can't waste supplies. Like, that's possible. Yes. Now that I think about it, too, as when you said the thing about her not having seeming to have as much of a crush on him as he has on her, there's an entirely different read of this, which is so much bleaker, which is she married him because she was like, well, this is the only way I'm going to save my family. And once she realized oh, that the family couldn't come along, she was like, no, I'm staying with my parents. I'm not going with this guy. Like, maybe that's because it's also weird that, like, the parents, I mean, I know my parents thinking about it would be like, get on the bus. We don't care. You get on the bus. We'll be fine. We'll meet you. And would yeah. shove me physically on the bus. Like, I, I know how my folks are. That's what they would do. And, like, what one would imagine parents would do in most of these situations. Um which eventually we do see like the mom giving when the, when her mom gives her her sister and is like, take the baby. Right. Sure. But 
prior to that, I do. I'm like, wait, what if she, what if Lily Sobieski, what if she just didn't want to get married to this guy to begin with? She only did it to save her family. And now she's like, no, screw it. I'm not living out the rest of my days with this guy, but not my folks. Like, I don't want that. I'd rather die in the apocalypse and be married to him. I, honestly, that could be, that's, that might be my new read on this. I also feel like I'm assuming the conversation was like, okay, we're married. And he said he, I think he like called the government and yeah. added her and then said her parents too. If I was her parents, I would call and just be like, just double checking our names are on the list before a bus shows up in the dead of night, like a yeah. week before an asteroid hits. Like, just want to double, triple check my plans and not run into this. Like, you're taking a 14-year-old boy at his word. Yes. And like, it, given that he is a astronomy prodigy, you know, still like 14-year-old boys, maybe not always 14-year-old anyone, not yeah. super who you trust with like logistics when it's your actual life on the line. Yeah, you definitely want to double check. Like, uh, even when you're on the list for, like, getting into a show, you don't want to <laughs> leave that to a 14-year-old who has a connection. You want to double check and confirm. You're totally right. Like, there is a little bit of due diligence that her parents did not do. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you might be onto something with her dad kind of sucking. That yeah. does feel like it's hinted at enough in there that we might be able to make that conclusion. So newscaster Jenny has just explained how the lottery is going to work and that 200,000 people who are like specifically reporters, teachers, scientists, you know, the the members of that one needs to rebuild society, they are going to get a pre a pre notification. And so the Biedermans get the call and Lily Zawalski's dad is like jumps up to go home. And his wife's like, where are you going? He goes, well, we, our phone could be ringing right now. And I do get the optimism of it. But I also am like, what do you think? You, what do you think they're calling you for? I don't even <laughs> know if they should have really given it to Biederman. Like he's a 14. I, I guess, sure, you give it to the kid as a thank you. But also those are his, I mean, his parents are just parents. Yeah. They, they get in. And then I know. I like that because it does feel very classic. Like if I am imagining being like sitting in my suburban house in the 90s, having yeah. neighbors over like 100% if like one neighbor gets something, the other neighbor's like, oh yeah, me too. I'm going to get that. Like it felt perfectly keeping oh. up with the Joneses. Yes, it felt very real and it felt very true to who the dad is. It just was that moment yes. I was like, this guy might suck a little. Yeah. Like he might resent, he, he sucks a little, I think. But yeah, yeah, it is very, you're, that's a really good point of it being so that keeping up with the Joneses aspect. Yeah. But yeah. Yes. Because yeah, it's funny that Leo, you know, as I, because I'm thinking about like the admission process that they used. So Leo is a 14 year old. He gets to go with his parents. Jenny, who un, is the reporter, Taylioni, who discovers, who uncovers the whole thing um, by accident, but she kind of stumbles across the giant government cover up that they're trying not to tell people about this in advance uh, for another couple weeks. And so she gets on the in the arc as well. She does not get any plus ones, which yes. I is brutal. Like that's you get her one. You're just going <laughs> to leave this one with survivor guilt. That's yeah, a psychological like you're going into the caves you got a plus one like Noah's Ark style you can have together yeah give them like one other person if for no other reason than you don't want anyone going into those caves who doesn't have one other person they'd like to spend the next two years in solitary with true you know if you don't have anybody that you can like 
if you don't have anybody that you can say, I need this one person, I'm going to bring them along with me because like, I can't live without them or they deserve to live. I got to be honest, that's not somebody who's going to be good for society. <laughs> no. And also we got very little when it comes to actually understanding like what these, this cave ecosystem looked like. Yeah. But I'm imagining like, you're probably bunking in some sort of situation. Like, yeah, you got to have friends in this situation. You can't just put, I mean, that's Ed. Also could be kind of true to the government planning where they didn't factor in mental health as much as they factored in other aspects of putting this together. But 100% agree, you get a plus one to the end of the world. You do. You, You should absolutely, I love that, get a plus one for the end of the world. That's and I do actually, and what's funny is that we'll get to the what is this movie really about, but that's as a spoiler alert, kind of what my, my, my what this movie is really about is about, um, which makes it even weirder. But uh, <laughs> jumping ahead of myself. If we can say on Jenny for a minute. Um, yeah. I found her very, since my day job when I'm not watching disaster movies mm-hmm. is disaster reporting. I was very interested in like, seeing how she did this, yeah. what her approach was. I have to say I was a bit underwhelmed. Um, fantastic style. Had like the whole 90s on-air reporter look impeccable. Um, but like, she st- first of all, she like didn't really know what she stumbled on and didn't really manage to get anyone to like say it to her, I felt like, in a way that like she just kind of allowed the government to be like, this is what's going to happen. And she was like, okay, cool. I'm not going to investigate this at all. I'll take you for your word. And all she got out of this trade was that she got to ask the first question in a press briefing, which is an honor, but also not like, she didn't get like an amazing exclusive. Like he was saying it on live TV to everyone at the same time. I just like, I feel like this isn't a moment where you wait and see what someone's going to say. This is a moment where you just like start calling every single person, you know, you follow up with James Cromwell on his boat, wherever he is. And you yeah. say like, I know what this is. Tell me more. Yeah. I, it didn't, she didn't do it for me in that way. Yeah. I I mean, in general, I, I do think so Beth, who is played by, I can't remember her name, but she is from um, what's it called? Uh, ER. And mm-hmm. You know, the she she was on ER, Susan. Uh oh, Laura Innes. So Beth is like her mentor character and also kind of sort of the frenemy, work frenemy. Um yeah. yeah. Definite vibes of that. Yeah. I mean, straight up. I mean, she she immediately tells her you you're not prepared to take a weekend anchor spot and kind of just like smacks her down. But then watching Jenny on camera. You start to see why she wasn't Jenny's not ready <laughs> to be on camera. Like, yes, yeah, she you're right. She totally has that like 90s that the the, the loose button-down silk shirt with the tight skirt and like yeah, oh, that's that fantastic. was so the professional chic, but she can't read off a teleprompter. No. <laughs> and I know Taylor can. So that was a deliberate <laughs> choice. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. she chose to make her a bit a bit green a bit green she's just not doing like i I, it could be that maybe what she was trying to convey was like that she's overwhelmed by the enormity of what she's been some tasked with of you know basically she becomes like msnbc which what 
it's in, it's funny because I read a couple of reviews from the time about this, like from one was from Washington Post, one was from the New York Times about this movie. And the Washington Post one was just kept going on, kept on mentioning MSNBC in this very snarky way. And it's kind of fascinating to look back at it because this is a movie, a, t- a movie that really like MSNBC in this is not the MSNBC we know today. It is. This was right in its very early origins. And it's treated fairly dismissively within the, sh- the movie itself. The president says if sh- if MSNBC has it, then CNN or the Post is going to have be breaking it by tomorrow already. Like CNN and the Post, the Washington Post are the reputable sources. MSNBC is low, you know, yeah, low grade yeah. joke. Um, so I did kind of appreciate that, like, there is sort of this vibe of Jenny not just being sort of not ready for prime time, but also that MSNBC in general is this kind of rinky dink operation relative to, but then she becomes like the face of the apocalypse, essentially. She's the trusted news anchor. She still never really, you never see her get her sea legs of being on camera. You never no. see her get comfortable with it. No, she doesn't do the whole like stalling, waiting for information thing very well, which is. Mm-hmm a critical skill to be an on-air anchor on any cable news like you spend so much time being like okay we're waiting for this Mm -hmm. decision to be made in court this asteroid to be hit whatever have you 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 need to be able to fill airspace yeah um in terms of like as you as you do disaster reporting okay so let's say you get into the situation where she's at by the time that she's spoken with the president so she has spoken, she has tracked down the Secretary of the Treasury. She thinks that he's had an affair, that L-E-E-L-E is L-E-E-L-L-I-E. He, um, she then somehow, she gets basically like, after she leaves the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secret Service comes after her and abduct her, take her to the White House. She meets with the president, get through all that. And as you said, at that point, she kind of just lets it go, except for doing a quick like search and realizing that E-L-E means extinction level event. What would your next call be? Who would, where would your next steps be if you got to extinction level event and the president's holding a press conference in 24 hours? Assuming she is, I mean, she is definitely, as you said, getting her sea legs in this job overall, but it did seem like she was fairly well connected in Washington. I have also reported on politics in Washington and it's like, you have a million sources. You go to a fitness class and the person next to you is like, let me leak some documents to you. Like, it is everyone in DC wants to talk. Uh-huh. The fact that, again, she was just like, I'll wait for the president and take him on his word. I would be asking every source I had, like, are you involved with this? What do you know about this? I would be searching everything I could find. I would also talk to my editor. I would not sit on this. Like, I would pull someone else in. If you actually believe you have, like, found out that there is an extinction level event potentially happening, Like, that is when you go all in, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, like, you want every single person you know to be tapping their sources, figuring out what this is. Like, not just to be first. That doesn't matter to me at this point. I'm just like, wait, when is this extinction level event happening? How much time do we have? What sort of preparation is in place? Like, it just feels like there's a million questions. And the fact that she's like, you know what? They'll tell me when they're ready. No, I'm I'm not doing that. I'm not making that deal. (laughs) Okay, I mean that seems totally fair. Yeah, I, 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 I maybe would because I'm not a reporter and I'm scared of people in like unmarked <laughs> cars. 
<laughs> but that has to be like trained. That fear has to be trained out of you pretty quickly as a reporter, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I have to say I have never been like run off the road sort of. But I would assume that you have had. Car. Yeah. <laughs> but so I, I do think like, I probably am talking a bigger talk than I would maybe do. Like if I was there and the president was there and I'm in that like weird situation, I'm probably fairly terrified. But <laughs> I also do think it's like uh, my genuine curiosity would take the best of me if nothing else. Like I'm just like wondering what's happening. And if I think the world is ending, it's sort of like the stakes of what happens to me are different at that moment. Right. If I'm like, right. oh, well, the world is potentially ending anyway. I might as well figure out what it is before that happens like I would just want all of the information I could get I will say I think my favorite thing that felt very true um having been in tv very early in my career is when the uh president does make the announcement and like has the press briefing that when you when it cuts to the newsroom there's a guy running around being like we need graphics because there is that guy that guy 100% exists you do need graphics and someone is yelling it and someone is making them so I did enjoy that a lot that's probably one of my favorite sequence, like one of my favorite quick moments where I w- just like I want to spend more time there because that's watching the guy yelling for graphics, somebody being like, "We need geologists, we need paleontologists." When who knows the size yes. of the one that killed the, yes. the one that killed the dinosaurs? Like everything about that was so fun to watch it unfold in real time as everyone's reacting. Which, as you said, like they sh- probably shouldn't be reacting in real time because she should have prepped them so that they could be ready yes. to go as first as you know first source. Yeah, right. Like she she could have said something even without running the story, right? Like she could have talked to her. They could have had those graphics. Yeah. Something on those graphics. Like they could have had Ellie up on the screen. Like just they could have been ready. And she she was really holding out. And the rest of the newsroom did seem much more fun than her. She sort of seemed like the wet blanket of the newsroom in some ways. Yeah, well, she's she's doing very serious reporter who exactly. like which is is a thankless character ultimately. Like it's, very serious yeah. reporter is is never gonna. It's the least fun person to have, like character to have ultimately because just like okay, you just you just have to do you just have to report. You don't get to do have any personality beyond that. You yeah, know? you either. I mean, you do if you sleep with your source in a movie. Well, that's then true. You can have then that can also be your personality. Is that is true. Sleeping with your source, but that's. Yeah, very serious reporter, reporter who sits with their source, your archetypes, and you just choose one. It's, it's just a nice thing that as a woman, you don't have to have anything other than those two options. It's just nice to know yeah. you don't, our, our tiny brains can't process more than those two things. <laughs> and she doesn't even have like her own, like, does she have friends? We just sort of see like her parents' love life situation. We really don't get much from her, I guess, yeah. because like you said, she's very serious reporter. Reporting is what she does. But, you know. Yeah, I, and, she is one of the characters. I I don't think Tay Leone did a bad job, but she's one of the characters who I want to like recast in hopes of getting someone who just like has a little bit more under the surface, a little bit more going on. I think that's possible for her. Absolutely. I well, I think that it's it, a little bit more under the surface, a little bit more going on. I would probably make a pretty strong argument that her parents subplot is maybe the weakest thing in the movie. And that's even with the fact that, you know, we got Vanessa Redgrave being fabulous and she is so deeply fabulous in this movie without even trying. And another person I just want to spend a bunch of time with of just like, yeah, I, when she at the, so first time we meet her, she's drunk midday recapping what is probably happening beat by beat at her ex-husband's new wedding to his new young wife. 
and doing it just like so dramatically and wonderfully. Incredible. And I I mean, I would want to be at a lunch with her while she is disparaging. Totally. Yeah. Disparaging her husband's new child bride, like on board. And then we see her the last time that we see her. She has dressed herself up impeccably, done a full face of makeup, and then has taken a some sort of alcohol sleeping pill combo because the world is ending and she's knows that she's not going to make it. But she times it such that the world hasn't ended yet. So her daughter still has to go claim her body. And that's a level of drama that I got to say, I really respect, but also look at and go, God, I start to understand why Jenny has zero personality because her <laughs> mom probably was the entirety of that world. Like, Honestly, a fantastic analysis. I did not think about it in that way, but you are spot on. Like I, I now totally agree with you. Yeah. It did kind of like, it felt like a bit of a premature decision. Honestly, I think it was on track with the character who was like all about the drama and like wanted to make a scene and have people notice that scene. Like she didn't want to be one of the billions of people who died that day. Like that is not in her real house. But I was also like, did you need to like, like, I don't know if the world's content anyway, this is what you're going to do with like, and your daughter is and like, maybe you could get out. Like if your daughter is potentially getting on into the caves, which I felt like she was offered a spot, right? So and then Jenny does, but she, as we said, yes. don't, doesn't get a plus one. And then her mom's over 50. So we get that scene of the two of them where the mom's like, oh, I forgot the over 50 thing. Yeah. Right. And the mom's right. like, it's such a, you know, I, listen, I mean, ageist, but I get it. Like, fine. You need every like, okay, Elon Musk, you need every viable egg or whatever. I do think there's probably some benefit to having some people who aren't of a procreating age who can still provide wisdom and babysitting services. But yeah, that was a also, thing. So if we're saying over 50, does that mean like Congress is not getting in as almost an entire body? I feel like Congress is still getting in. And then... Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. Like, Let me rephrase that. Over 50 unless you're a white man. I'm sorry. I forgot that detail. <laughs> the little asterisk. Of yeah. course. Like, I feel like there was like a little scroll at the bottom of the screen when they were reading out the requirements, probably, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just like, this qualifies unless you are a white man of this age. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, you know, white guys can still have babies up until they're 80. Look at Robert De Niro. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, 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 <laughs> of course, Congress. Congress, because who else, you know, continuity, Congress needs to be there to make important decisions from inside a bunker. Sure. Right. But, but I don't know. I just like, I feel like if I was her, which is a headspace that admittedly is like, I would hope and like to say pretty different than my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think I, like, I'm, I'm one of those people, like, if a zombie apocalypse is happening, that I am going to try to survive it so I feel like that is just a very different headspace but like I'm waiting for all the information here because like I mean in the end a lot of people did survive so she could have she could have made it it's true um the whole family kind of does that really in the end they all like accept the idea that their lives are ending and just kind of move towards it maybe a little faster and more certainly than they needed to yeah, it's it's one of those movies where it's an interesting question of like, what would you do in those circumstances? Where would you go if you, you know, and um, I 
I think that the choice, so the dad, the, the her dad, Taylor and his dad decides to stand at his beach house on the beach um, for reasons that are mostly emotional and plot based um, because like it was where Taya, he was with Taya Leone when she was five and it was the best day of her life or whatever. Um, it's, I, I don't fully understand the choices that were made by them, but I do agree. It's very consistent in that family that yeah. there is the, the general acceptance of, okay, we're all going to die and that's just what it is. So let's make it as conveniently death-based as possible. But, yeah, and like emotionally resonant. Yes, totally very. You know, you got to have an emotionally resonant death. It's a really good point, though, um, that what you had made about the fact that the mom didn't want to be like one of the masses who die, which I think is again tells you a lot about her as a person. And I think you're 100 percent right. And again, is why like she made her daughter. Her daughter is dealing with the fate of humanity. That she was the one who told who who had to deliver the fate of humanity. And then she has to, on top of all of this and knowing her own impending death, she's got to go claim her mom from, you know, the morgue, which is apparently still running. Yes, that's like to the point of Leo going across country yeah. or wherever they went. Like, there's just so much. Like, are you working your bureaucratic job at this point? I just, I don't know. Like, are you working at the morgue if you know the world's going to end in two weeks? It feels really hard to like punch into work. To most jobs, like not just your bureaucratic DC job like we saw, but like, I just don't think my headspace is totally there. And it felt like, like there was, we learned about this comet, we had a long time, there was like the mission. So I kind of see how like between learning about it Mm -hmm. and the space mission that people would like kind of maintain their day-to-day lives because you're just like, okay, they've got this handled, we're going to be okay yeah but then like after that fails and like your neighbor possibly gets the call and you don't do you go to work I don't think I go to work if I wasn't selected like Mm -hmm. I just like well I yeah I mean again as like a a journalist I feel like maybe I do go to work just because my work feels very relevant at this moment but like I I don't know I want to be with my family I want to just like I did I yeah and in this movie it just felt like everyone kind of like it took until the very end for people to like start like evacuating from coastal areas that I'm doing pretty quick right like I am finding out that a tsunami is gonna happen and like I'm gonna if I can't go underground I'm gonna try to like get my own situation slightly more plausible yeah I don't know going to the morgue is not on my final two weeks to-do list no 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 if 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 I had to run errands on behalf of my mother like my dramatic mother I would probably not and I'm very grateful for the fact that my mom my mom would absolutely be like no don't don't do that go take care of yourself (laughs) like I'll be fine um versus the Vanessa Redgrave choice of like no you must pick me up or at least like get my valuables because like she has like one of the, I mean, at that point, Jenny doesn't know she's not going to get on the helicopter. Like she doesn't know that she's not Jenny. Jenny hasn't made those decisions, True. but also she collects all of her mom's jewelry from the morgue. And I'm, there's a part of me that's like that. What are you going to do with them, Jenny? What are you going to yeah. do with the? And I sell jewelry, but like, what are you going to do with the jewelry in that case, Jenny? Again, it's like, it's an errand that I just don't know she needed to be given two weeks before the apocalypse. 
Um, but, and, and to your point about like the going to work thing, I mean, granted the president Morgan Freeman does say like the bills will still need to be paid. You still have to go to work. I don't know, man. It's a tough one. I, yeah, I I will. I'll devil's advocate myself and just say like, we all did work through a global pandemic. (laughs) True. So I guess like maybe social cohesion would hold more, but different certainly different scenarios right like that was a different type of disaster than what we're dealing with here um yeah I also like Morgan Freeman has lost some credibility to me at that point right when he was like we got this and then now he's kind of like so we've been secretly building these caves and you may or may not be on it and it's not in your control good luck yeah 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 I I do agree on that point and also like the part where he says one thing that I that I had not noticed until this watch was when he's like right now when he he at the beginning of the press conference he says right now all of our ambassadors are telling world leaders the same information and that's when I realized that the USA and Russia had been keeping a secret from every other country in the world that's a choice (laughs) I yeah yeah like it's a one a lot of optimism that this very experimental spacecraft situation is going to work but then also like you don't want anybody else to come up with some ideas no one else is going to make their own if we've got a couple extra months maybe like australia can dig a couple extra tunnels store a few million more people (laughs) nothing we're just we're just going off of when the usa says so but it feels also to a degree like i mean it's it's very much of the time of like the you know the way that these movies are you know uh, the usa is gonna be the savior in this but it definitely was one of those few moments where i, I kind of like stopped and was like whoa boy it's maybe not the best for global policy or you know humanity surviving the apocalypse is keeping that a secret for this long totally it's very it reminded me obviously this is a spiritual predecessor of don't look up mm-hmm. but it reminded me of that where like the whole time I was just like other people have skills and technology and money too. Like an Mm -hmm. asteroid is not like a United States event. This is a global event. We can work together and also like care about what happens to other countries instead of like everything just being like, nope, we're just like, this is our box and we are staying in it. Well, that's why like, have you seen the movie Arrival? No. Oh, you should see Arrival is is the only alien movie that I have willingly watched more than once. Um, not just like, oh, I but as in, ooh, I want to watch that again. Like I've seen okay. Independence Day a few times. Arrival's the only one where I'm like, it's time for me to watch <laughs> Arrival again. I need to watch it's this. It's by choice. Again. It's yeah, it's like it's it's not just by choice, it's it's I have a hankering for it. It's I got a, I got an arrival craving, and I never have that for any other a- alien movie. Um, but that is one of the things that's really unique about Arrival is that without giving too much away, it is very much a movie about how the way to save humanity is by all of humanity working together. That This is not that there are some things that are too big for even for an individual country to tackle. And it's really interesting to like to your point that, yeah, even if I mean, that was one of the major issues that like I had with Don't Look Up was it's mm-hmm. such an insular movie when it's trying to ha- when we're talking about an issue that because it's obviously the metaphor for global warming of like, this right. is bigger than the U.S. and we're not treating it that way. And it's only a U.S. problem. It's it's an issue. And it's not even for the believability for me. It just limits the story so much. Yeah. 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 It's just like a strange yeah. 
a strange thread that kind of carries through a lot of these movies. But like you said, I think especially at this time, like a strong president delivering, stirring addresses to the public was like a real favorite trope of this moment. And I Googled it when I was watching. I was like, oh, it's Morgan Freeman. He's president again. I thought he's been president more, but apparently this was, I think, his first president movie. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not surprised they asked him to do it again. He was a good president. I mean, that's the thing is, is that Morgan Freeman plays a tremendous president. It's, you know, this is the ongoing issue of as I as 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 we learn more and more like individually why each each beloved actor is in his own way trash. Um, And like, obviously, Morgan Freeman has some issues with the younger women and his niece or whatever. We don't need to get into all that. Morgan Freeman as an actor plays a tremendous president. And there are a few people who have a more comforting voice. And when you got to have somebody deliver his, when he fully goes Bill Nye and explains Mm. what a comet is, how how comets work, and then like explains to us what is going to be happening on the mission. Like he gives a straight monologue of exposition that should be so boring that, but it's Morgan Freeman. So it's fantastic. Yeah. I would watch an entire, I would watch a daily science program of narrated by of him just like explaining all the details i would i would i would probably care about the stock market if morgan freeman explained to me how the stock market worked <laughs> it's a it's a good voice for it it's like he has the authority but there's some comforting in there and it was also like the speeches were very well written mm-hmm. because in real life it's been a minute since we've heard like a, a stirring presidential speech yeah. um but in the movies, like, they they accomplish a lot, not just in the movie itself, but, like, for us as the audience. I was like, okay, like, yeah. they're going to get that comet. That asteroid is going to be done. It's it's incredible. It's, it's, it's such a well-done – he's such a well-written president in that way. And then, like, even one of my favorite moments is – and again, this is, like, a surprisingly short movie, um, all things considered. It actually clocks in under two hours – and it, but it's really dense. So much in there, though. There's yes. so much in there. I, I, when I went to watch it last night, I was like slotted for two, two and a half hours. And then I went and when I actually looked at the timestamp on it again, I was like, what the, how? <laughs> because it feels like so many everything that, so many plot lines. Everything that happens on the spaceship, I was like, that has to take at least 45 minutes, right? No, it's like a 20 minute, the whole thing is 20 minutes of, of the spaceship crew. There's nothing, ha- like it, it's all over so fast. But when Morgan Freeman, when he's like, okay, we're going to be launching after the first spaceship thing is, has failed. And the instead of blowing blowing up the comet, they have just broken it into two pieces, which is not the goal. Um, and they're like, once it gets closer, we're going to shoot missiles at it. And that's going to blow it up. And it's going to be okay. And they don't bother showing it to us. They don't bother telling us the results. They just cut to Morgan Freeman bent over a desk with his sleeves rolled up <laughs> saying, so that didn't work. <laughs> And it's like, it's really, <laughs> it's really stirring and effective at the time, but it's also incredibly funny. Yeah. Um, just objectively, from, like. It's, it's so funny <laughs> of him just that moment where you go from him and then and our, uh, doing his serious president voice. And then a few minutes later, you get the, oh shit, president voice. And it's really, <laughs> it's good. But it is, you're right. Like going back to the thing about the idea that like we haven't had stirring president speeches the 90s were nothing but i mean this was uh, the clinton era 
we'd come uh, Ronald Reagan, terrible for the you know state of the country, um, but did give a good speech. And then Clinton, you know, that man got by on charm and a wink and a great head of hair um, <laughs> and had nothing but good speeches. And so it is like that's what we've been trained to expect from a president at that point. And so then you look at like the presidents. It's interesting to think about now the presidents that we see in disaster movies in the 2000s do very much go into the vein of the George Bush, like he's a figurehead. He's not, you know, if you look at uh, 2012, Oliver Platt's the real power behind the whole thing. Like the president yeah. is so rarely the the driving force. And in this, you do still have that 90s. The president is an icon. The president is the best of America. The president is this symbol. Um, it's really yeah. actually, yeah, it's you're you're totally right, though, about the the speeches and what a difference it is versus today. Yeah, I feel like nowadays it's more like the president needs to be rescued mm-hmm. or is the secret villain. Yeah. It's rarely like, as you were saying, that they are the ones who are like able to move the plot forward or like having the ideas. They're sort of, I mean, or like don't look up where they are like part of the the, of plot. the joke problem. Yeah, all yeah. of that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's sort of that difference of like, you know, he's sort of the president daddy in this. And then we very much move away from that by the 2000s. And this is sort of like yeah. one of the last little chances to have president daddy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking more about, I'm actually floored from what you said that it was just like 20 minutes of the spaceship. It's something like that. Yeah. Because in my mind, that is what stuck with me from when I'd originally seen it. I was like, oh, oh really? the movie and the astronauts go up and like, but they actually, like, I mean, not like, don't not the president doesn't have like a developed character but it feels like he's giving president the astronauts really don't have much to me until the very end when they're saying goodbye to their families and i'm very much wish that they had more to them like i feel like the character development was not equal across the boards we were getting like weird snippets of everyone's lives and i guess maybe that was the point but i didn't love that especially when it came to the astronauts who then were the heroes, right? Like they, I feel like they deserved a little more. Totally. And I mean, other than, you know, there's a lot of heavy lifting that's happening in that by the fact that, and it's funny because it's like almost the movie sort of acknowledges it itself um, by the fact that it has, oh, Robert Duvall. There we go. Yeah. You know, the Sturgeon, movie. Like, what, what was his name? His name is, name is Spurge- Spurgeon. Spurgeon. Spurgeon Tanner. Yes. Um, I just like I want to know who wrote that name. I it's a great name. Well, great so name. Spurgeon Spurgeon's a weird like weirdly enough I know the name Spurgeon because of the fact that do you know who the Duggars are? The 19 kids yes. counting. One of those weird parts of my brain that just like will never not know things <laughs> about the Duggars. Um and one of them one of the the kids named their kid Spurgeon and he's apparently like some 19th century preacher. So it's like an existing name and it's a, a fairly, so for a Southern guy, he's like, I think was a Baptist preacher or something. So for a Southern guy, Spurgeon, it's quite a name though. It's a lot of name. And they, I love course, it. Yeah. And they shorten it to fish, which is such a great like Air Force dude name. Sure. Totally. But they they definitely shorthand by having it be Robert Duvall that like immediately he's going to show up on screen and you're going to find him charismatic and charming. And you're going to care about him immediately. And the rest of them were of the, was it four or five other astronauts are mostly interchangeable, which is a bummer. Yeah. Right. Like that is a, except and for like recognizable actors. I was like, oh, look, it's you. And mm-hmm. then I was like, 
But I like I don't remember any of their names from the movie. Only one I remember is Gus, and that's just because um, John Favreau looks like such a Gus. It's just such a good name for a John Favreau character is Gus because yeah, his name great is naming Gus. in this movie. Yeah, it, it, they really nail it with the names. Leo Biederman. I mean, Elijah Wood does. Yeah, that, like, I, I Leo love it. Biederman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it, and names are hard too. So I really got to mm-hmm. respect that they went for it's it. It's a strength. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A real strength. But yeah, no. So uh, John Favreau as Gus was one that I. But like he dies and he just gets ejected. Um, he, yeah, he wasn't off expecting his, that. No, he flies off into space, poor guy. Uh, yeah. that's, I I was thinking about it, and I was like, I if that happened to me, I would probably just immediately rip my suit. Like I, the idea of just floating through space endlessly. Oh, maybe I would just float through. I I was really trying to figure out what I would do in that situation. Of like, if you float, would you float through space and just kind of accept it and be like, well, I'm seeing a part of space no one has ever seen before, or would you go for it? That's that's kind of what I was trying to figure out at that point. I can't decide. I feel like I float for a bit, yeah. but then, yeah, like when you hit the point that you don't have any food or water and that's becoming a problem, like, okay, yeah. maybe it's time. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's kind of, I think that's where I'd fall too. But the, I did feel bad. I mean, you know, poor Gus, you can't, when you see John Favreau, oh, yeah. young John Favreau, you're just gonna feel bad for the guy. Cause that, that's, it's like seeing, um, it's like seeing Greg Grunberg. From J.J. Abrams stuff. Like, as soon as you see Greg Grunberg or something, mm-hmm. you know he's going to die. John Favreau in the 90s, like, eh, if he's going into space, I don't think he's <laughs> making it. So I didn't get too attached to him, but I still felt bad. But that, Yeah, of course. But you're right. The the astronauts, which it's, I had for, I, un- until I rewatched it the first, t- first time in many years, I had completely forgotten about all the astronaut stuff because they don't stick as a concept. And they, yeah, yeah. Which is a bummer because it's like a big, I mean, they clearly put like the money into the graphics Mm -hmm. here. I loved the space graphics. I just really enjoyed how they always looked like, um, you know, like those folders you used to get in the nineties from like staples that were like just space. Yes. Like that's what it looked like. And I found (laughs) that very enjoyable. So I was thrilled anytime we went to space for that reason alone, like just for the visual. Yeah. But then a little sad by the fact that like, at the end when everyone was meeting their families and like Mary McCormick's character had very little in the beginning. Yes. And then towards the end, she was just like, seemed really cool. And I was like, Oh, like I want to spend more time with you than Jenny maybe. Cause like you're a career woman, but like seemingly have found balance in that. And how do you do it? Yeah. It's a, the, I wonder if like, I do kind of wonder if, there's the re- part of the reason the movie is so short is if they and I, I need to finish I, I had just downloaded the deep impact script um I suspect and I haven't gotten to it yet but I suspect that they probably had more stuff about the astronauts and then they cut it once the Armageddon kind of timing came out and everyone's like oh it's gonna be too similar to Armageddon let's cut the space stuff I kind of wonder that if that's what that's yeah. kind of what I suspect but who knows like I, I truly won't know until I go back to finish reading this but that's the only explanation for it because it's so it's so shorthand. There's so little. Yeah. And like we get this little bit about Fish loving Mark Twain and and also Herman Melville. Like he just kind of seems to be a great reader of the American canon. And we spend a surprising amount of time hearing about Mark Twain for a movie that doesn't tell <laughs> me like why I should care about three of the five people on that ship. Yeah, we want yeah. the director's cut. 
that's what we need here. Like we we are, I am fully on board with this theory of Armageddon competition. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think there's a cut somewhere in like, I don't know whatever they were filming on back then, but. Yeah, no, I, I, I want to see it. <laughs> I totally like the the director's cut. Actually, brings us to something completely different, which I need sh- definitely want to make sure we touch on. Which is, this is the only disaster movie that I can think of in general, which is directed by a woman. This mm. is Mimi Letterer, who yes. uh, up to that point she was one of the principal directors on ER. She had done some. Uh, she had she'd done a few other movies. This was her big disaster movie, and I I can't think of another disaster movie that is directed by a woman and so sad uh, i mean good for her she did like a she got a lot in a short amount of time had like a fantastic cast you know great graphics for the time like it's it's i wonder i do there's a part of me that wonders like and and it's it's a movie that is obviously like very grounded and very emotional and has no doesn't have a ton of spectacle until the end and I do kind of wonder how much of the success of the movie at like of how effective it is in spite of the lack of spectacles, partly because of the fact that like this is a movie about emotions. This is a feelings movie about a disaster. This isn't a save it, stop, say, stop the disaster or survive the disaster. This is what does it feel like to live through the disaster, which we don't often get as like in, as a genre of disaster movie. That's true. I hadn't thought about it through that lens but I really agree with it. And I think that is part of the reason I am so drawn to this movie instead of like maybe an Armageddon because like that you got a lot of the splash and the action. And, Mm -hmm. but like, I do think there's something very cool about having that, like seeing different types of characters go through this in like totally different situations. And yeah, I, I would like more like that for mm-hmm. for different types of disasters because I think it's super interesting and I think it's also like a lot of times when I watch these movies obviously you like put yourself in those positions and think about it and here you actually got some more answers of like what are people doing who are just people who are not like Gerard Butler yeah so I like that yeah it's I I think that aspect of it's really interesting um I had actually so I had looked at because like apocryphally, you know, we all remember that Deep Impact got panned and Deep Impact mm-hmm. is terrible and all that. But one, when you go back and rewatch it, it's actually really good and really effective. And then two, I was like, well, let's see what people thought of it at the time. And it's one of the quotes that I really thought was in- interesting from the, the New York Times article. Deep Impact will doubtless seem the more sensitive of the two compared to Armageddon since it emphasizes feelings over firepower whenever possible. Mimi Letter, who directed The Peacemaker and gives greater gloss and personality to this film, directs with a distinctly womanly touch. And right. I know. I know. It's interestingly, both of the reviews are written by this and the Washington uh, Washington Post one are written by women, both of the reviews. And this one ends up being fairly positive. The other one is incredibly snarky. Um, but what's interesting is that neither really know what to do with a disaster movie that doesn't center the disaster yeah and it, like you can in the review it like they're just very much like enough it's just a bunch of feelings and people having emotions up until the disaster at the end it's like well, yeah this is it's i think it's very much a case of people not 
at the time meeting the movie where it was, but instead expecting that the movie didn't do what they expected it to. And therefore it's bad versus being like, well, sure. maybe this was the movie trying to do something different. And that's what you had to approach it on. Um, but I, I do think like there's a world in which if, if maybe we had, I don't know, framed it differently. Like there's a, we've seen other countries be capable of producing these emotion disasters. Um, the way oh, yes. like Norway does that really well. Fantastic. South Korea does it fantastically. Pandora is still like one of the most emotionally gutting movies I have ever seen and I will never watch again. So we can do emotion disasters in other countries, but I think it's really interesting that we tried it here and then we were immediately like, mm, what is this crap? Why aren't more things yeah. blowing up? I wonder if it's because it did try to do like a little too much to yeah. get those audiences in too. And that's why some of the characters, like we've been saying, have just felt a little too underdeveloped. So then it's like, we're seeing their emotions, but we don't necessarily care about them enough to like feel into it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was kind of like what I kept running up against is there'd be moments where I was like, oh, this feels very human and relatable. And like, I wish there was more of this throughout, or I wish like I had seen these like snippets of life in other ways, instead of just being like, take it as we say that Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski are in love. Like it was like, you don't like see it, you're told it. So I think that could maybe be some of it is it's just like, we didn't have enough. We were getting too much. And then like, we did get some good action at the end. Like yeah. that was a, a very solid, you know, impact moment and the waves and like, the, like I felt satiated by like, yeah, that actual scene when it did happen. But that was it. It was like, you got to watch to the end. If you stop halfway through, you're going to just sit in like, well, what did I just see? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I love, I love the wave. I love the, I love the way that the, the tsunami, like, I love how they, they, obviously it's at the time, top of the line graphics. It, it looked for the time really good. Now it like looks like really good. It looks like good, bad effects now. Like, yes, it looks aged, but it doesn't look cheesy it just looks like old effects which like credit where credits do that's fine. yeah but man when like the top down view of the water flooding through the grid streets of new york works mm -hmm. so well for me I, I i also saw like there was somebody uh there there was a i think it was a salon article about like looking back at deep impact which is by you know physicists considered like one of the better disaster movies it's fairly grounded relatively speaking um yeah and they were basically their one of the consultants had essentially said like the original version did have a little bit more of a sense of the community and so there were like apparently people in Brooklyn watching the wave come toward them and I think that would have been so good right oh, like yeah yeah just this sense of like oh everyone kind of just realizing that this is what's going to happen so they all kind of come together to experience this yeah. moment together yeah it's effective in a way that I really I would have liked to have seen um versus oh, yeah, I'm sad that was cut out we really we need this director's cut like we who do can we talk to about getting this someone call me like prime for a re-release oh, we have everything sure. going on with NASA right now let's let's make this happen it's the 25th anniversary so why wouldn't oh, we get there you yeah. go yeah let's re release the Mimi cut 
that's yeah. what I want. Hashtag. Hashtag. I don't even know what platform you hashtag on anymore, but I, I don't think that you. I think you just walk out <laughs> on the street and just yell it a bunch, and eventually it happens because someone yeah, will no record you. It'll be a TikTok. Yes. <laughs> yes, and then it'll eventually filter its way through because there is no social media anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I'm trying to think if there's like anything else that I desperate like. Is there anything else that you really, you're like, if I don't talk about this, I'm going to regret it about Deep Impact? I will say I was very confused by the final newsroom scenes where, like, they were drawing straws to get on a helicopter. Yeah. It just felt like, again, like, we have a lot of notice that this event is happening. Why are we leaving it down to the wire? Like, I would like to know if I have a, a seat on a helicopter, like, what my exit plan is. Seemingly, everyone knows by then whether they are in a cave or out of a cave. And I just feel like, you know, I think there is like better preparedness planning than people got credit for. I mean, like, do I think I'm going to work? Maybe or maybe not. Do I think there's going to be like a little bit more social fraying at this point? Probably. But I also think plenty of people would be like, you know what, I'm just going to like come up with a plan. And I was a little bothered by that. Like the, the newsroom straws, I was sort of like, do we need to do this with like this woman and her daughter? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I do think like, regardless of whether or not they thought that the, like, I do think that there is a, a tremendous amount of government failure in this because that's really what it comes down to is that like, regardless of if they thought that they were going to completely destroy the comet, maybe it would have been a good idea to start doing staggered evacuations of coastal cities. Yeah. Like, Hey, we don't know, but given that we're going to blow up the comet, there might be chunks. Let's get everyone away from low-lying areas. We've got the time. Totally. Let's do it. And also, like, the MSNBC newsroom that Jenny's in, sure, they didn't. the argument could be made that they didn't evacuate because, you know, they're still covering the government. But the government shouldn't still have been running out of Washington, D.C., which is located in a swamp. Like, and that's not so much, and this is like... <laughs> Going back to the original idea of the reality index, where it's not so much about like, oh, I don't believe that because that's not how it works, or I don't believe that because that's not how science works, or anything like, or it's badly written. I'm just looking at it from the standpoint of this just doesn't seem to be the most effective way for everyone to handle themselves in an apocalypse. And I feel like the yeah. first thing would be, okay, we're going to relocate all of the seat of government to like the bunker in Denver. You know, there's like, whatever, the the... I know there's like some sort of bunker that's in the Rocky Mountains to survive a nuclear apocalypse. Yes. Wouldn't the government go there? And then you would be like, okay, in our newsrooms, relocating to our Denver affiliate. And that's where we're going to work out of. Is that the most dramatic option? No. But from the standpoint of like, what do I think could potentially happen? Like, what would make more sense and lead us to a a norm? Like, yeah, there is no reason that these people, that they don't need this many people to keep running the offices. Why are they all still there? No. No. That's, I think that was like, the underdevelopment and that, those were like my two real bones to pick. We're just like, we can, months have gone by in this movie. People would make some choices and decisions along the way. That like just didn't, and if we are going for what seemingly wanted to be a more like realistic view of how people would respond, I feel like you can give some people a little bit more credit than maybe they got. Yeah. I mean, to your point about like, well, we saw people work through COVID, but we did. But I, I mean, 
I didn't personally know, but I knew of many people who just like left the States and worked in yeah. a, on a beach in Mexico for you know three months because they're like, well, I don't have to be in my apartment and I don't want to just like it was everybody who everyone I know who lived in New York knew somebody who had fled to a seaside seaside chateau to ride out the apocalypse. And I don't not think that maybe like Vanessa Redgrave's character wouldn't have been like, well, instead of I'm going to die in my apartment, like if the world's going to end, darling, I'm going to do it in Hawaii. Like <laughs> I do. Kind yeah. Of that, think. that would fit her personality too. I yeah. could see her doing that or like just going to maybe Europe. I was going to say Paris. Like she I probably see- has. Yeah. A chalet yeah. somewhere. She absolutely has a chalet. She talks like she talks about how like several works of art that she has in her home have been taken by the Smithsonian to be preserved. This woman has a lot of money. Like, yeah, you so build a bunker too. Yeah, you can build a bunker. Like, you yeah. got time. But yeah, I, I, mean, I don't. Yeah, that was. I mean, I was going to say it maybe wasn't as big of a cottage industry then, but absolutely, people had bunkers. Like. Yeah, people have had bunkers for decades, well, so she can find been, a way. It would have been okay. So the Berlin Wall fell in what ninety one, right? No, yes. yeah, or ninety ninety no, well, something like that. Uh, it was in uh, something like that. Okay, so let Berlin Wall yes. ninety one. So the Berlin Wall fell seven years prior. People, so that means that seventies eighties people still had nuclear fallout shelters. Wait, sorry, it was nineteen eighty nine. Oh right, because right, oh. <laughs> we did the Google fact check. Yeah. Wall fell. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because it was Mr. Gorbachev tear down the wall was Reagan. Yes. Right. Yes. Um. It did the USSR dissolved in ninety one. Um. Okay. So anyway. Uh. But the point is, is like people still like nuclear fallout shelters were not an unusual thing. Um. They. Even, oh no, yeah. not at all. So those and, and like, you are a wealthy woman. Yeah. You can. You got months. You. I mean, you could buy a pre existing one and like retrofit it to your needs and have like your fabulous closet just picked up and put down there absolutely and then you can you know wait two years and go back to drinking martinis and being fabulous it's doable um but yeah I do I I do think like I agree with you on that on on those points and I do think like there I wonder if it's partly the optimism of the 90s because it it was an optimistic time and so I wonder if like some of it was the optimism of the 90s, like not expecting people to behave poorly or that society would fall apart, that there was still like, I don't think that the reaction, the ex- anticipated reaction in a disaster movie now would be very different, I think, because we've seen in real life, there's no sense anymore of like the community bands together and the world bands together and we're all going to behave ourselves and keep attending our jobs. And it's like, mm, now we've seen what happens. But I think in the 90s, yeah. we still had that optimism that like, no, this is, we could be our best selves. That's interesting. I do think, so I see it almost more as like trusting government mm. was so much stronger back then. So maybe it was like, because I think what really like bothered me, as I said, with the reporter's response to it was just that like face value takes everything for its word when a huge part of journalism is fact-checking every little detail you can find and you know if someone says something you find the source behind that so I feel like some of it was maybe that if someone made a presidential address like people listened and they took it and that was that 
So I think maybe that was just like the very unfamiliar framework at this time to be working with, which was like, if the president says something, everyone's just going to accept it and move forward. Because now that is not necessarily what we're seeing. And like disaster reporter hat back on, there is a lot of research about how people respond when disasters actually take place. Mm -hmm. And like when it does happen, people tend to band together in that aftermath. I think the beforehand with something like a this situation where like this is an extinction level event, like obviously we don't have that data to go on. Um, and I mean, if we're like lo- using COVID as like a large scale disaster that we're looking at, you know, I think the responses to that were a bit more varied. But yeah, I mean, I think like, did I expect to see more protesting in the streets and like people leaving their jobs behind? Absolutely. Do I feel like that scene of like people in Brooklyn all together would be the reality where people band together in that moment? Absolutely as well. I think like it is just like the idea that the president tells you you live or you die and you accept that, that that feels like something that would not fly today in a movie or real life. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I God the conspiracy theories that would burst out oh, of the president of the eight hundred thousand people who were selected. Like, that's going to be some bonkers conspiracy theories for sure. Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And but your point about like you know commute going back to Mika McKinnon's you know great her what she told us on in the San Andreas episodes like the best right. thing you can have in a disaster is community, and right. I absolutely think like yeah. It's, it, that is true. And also it's nice to know that that bears out in real life as well. Like it does. Yeah. 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 And that actually, it was kind of like, I know we talked a little bit about your really about. So yeah. that was part of my really about was that I Let's feel like get to it. the implication was like, trust your neighbors. I mean, if you look at like Leo Biederman said he was going to save his 14 year old girlfriend and he went back and did it like, mm-hmm. People's neighbors like tried to stand up and be there for each other. I mean, Tay Leone gave up her spot for yeah. her, not even just friend, but frenemy. Yeah. Like that's big of you. Someone who told you you weren't ready for prime time and you are giving her your spot in the bunker. Huge. Yeah. That's a big person to do that. Um, so I, I do feel like that was a nice thread to see because again, I don't know if that's something that you always tend to see in disaster movies. Like you do see the more panicked crowd more than Mm -hmm. you tend to see like the people making those individual decisions. And then like, usually there's just a hero versus like lots of people doing like small heroic things along the way, which I think is typically more true to life. Yeah. I think it's interesting because that's my, my, what is this really about is also the idea of community. Um, Like you said it, you, you, you created the perfect tagline for it, which is, you know, everyone should have a plus one in an apocalypse. And this is a movie about having a plus one in the apocalypse, whether it's your family, um, in the case of Leo, or your high school crush and her family, and then building and and going back and saving your high school crush because that you want this other person to survive. And then also, yeah, Taya Leone's great sacrifice um, because otherwise she's going to go alone. And she sees her frenemy and this her her frenemy's daughter who she very clearly loves that yeah. you know she is willing like that she's willing to give up her spot because it's not worth it 
to go through the apocalypse if it's just going to be you. Like she's already lost oh, her that's mom. That's so sweet. <laughs> but it's true though. Like that's yeah. what it comes down to is that she looks like she's already lost her mom and she decides to go spend the last minutes of the apocalypse with her dad or who she's estranged from and like yeah. reconnect with him in those moments. Um, Fish, you know, who's like this outsider on the crew that he becomes their space dad essentially. And like, which to be honest, if you're going to put a crew together, and one's going to be an older guy, you got to make sure first that none have dad issues because Orin, the guy who goes <laughs> blind because of the sun, absolutely has dad issues. Through. Like every time yeah. that Fish opens his mouth, he's annoyed by the father figure telling him what to do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's a movie like it's about them, like developing this this family and this crew together. And the only person who doesn't have a plus one is Morgan Freeman's character is the president. And I think that's really, Ooh. he's the only one who doesn't have a, who, who doesn't have any of that. And I, I think that to a degree, like the country serves that role that he, and that's why he chooses not to go into the bunker that like, he's going to survive or no, he, he, or he, that he's, that he's going to survive the apocalypse um, with the country or not survive right. the apocalypse with the country. And then of course he lives through it, which apparently that last scene of like, we will rebuild and all of that, the floodwaters right. receded. That was filmed after the fact because the ending was too bleak, ending it with just the kids on the mountaintop. And so they had to oh. film that afterward. Um, but I think that does like the fact that he makes it through to be like, again, America's daddy and to to be the yeah. sort of collective plus one to all of us who wouldn't have a plus one in the apocalypse is, I know, I think that's I think that's ultimately what it is. Everyone needs a plus one in the apocalypse, not just for survival purposes, but for emotional purposes. This is an emotions based movie. And emotionally, you can't do it alone. Yeah, we got some great disaster dads in this movie and disaster moms. And like not necessarily actual dads or moms, but yeah. just people who like took those roles right on. Because we never had a vice president, did we? No, did we, we don't see a vice, a vice president. president. No. We barely even see, like we see, I guess, presumably as chief of staff in that first scene in the in the basement where Taylor right. gets taken. Yes. But like we never really see his staff again. We never see him interacting with the staff. Um, it is very much in the you are good, like that the Alex Steed, um, Sarah Marshall podcast, you are good, which used to be called why are dads, where every movie <laughs> at the end, their question is, you know, who's the daddy in this movie? And it's very much like it's not necessarily the official dad, but this is very much yeah. a movie of like disaster dads and disaster moms, whether yeah. or not they're official or not. Yeah. So yeah. fantasy casting wise, how are you if you if you get to remake this tomorrow, who are you putting in? OK, so. For Jenny, the reporter, mm -hmm. I was really feeling an Allison Williams. Like, Ooh. I want someone who has, like, the very, like, beautiful, like, TV-friendly, but then, like, also she can do, like, that slightly deranged thing mm -hmm. that I feel like would be very enjoyable if that was added onto this character. If it's, like, you know, clearly we see her this reporter is like a workaholic who like is struggling between her parents. I want her to like, maybe we see that like her, she's cracking a little. So like she has all this pressure. Like, I just feel like we could get some depth with an Alison Williams here. I like that. And also the Brian Williams of it. Like, yes, we we have to keep it at MSNBC. I, and then you have Alison Williams. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh, I think and, that's I really mean, fun. Do we get Brian Williams to be her dad in the movie? Maybe. Mm. I know he's not doing yeah but 
could think about or it. Or we can, or we can wink to it at the very least. But yeah, she yes. she'll know how to read off of a teleprompter. We know that much. I I believe it. Oh, I and like let's see. I did not do her parents. I just like yeah. I didn't feel like I had better actors for them or or enough to like go in. I don't yeah. know. Did you have anyone for her mom? I feel like that could have been a fun one. I didn't have anyone specific for her mom. Um, I do think that there's any number of like fantastic actresses who just have that general like you could just as easily have Patricia Clarkson play the sort Ooh. of fabulous lush. She just had a great quote about like how about how her how wonderful her life has been unmarried and childless and that like for her 50th birthday, she woke up in apparently like a thong and high heels or something crazy like that. <laughs> just, there's Wait, a, I, put I her in the movie. Yeah. Like, I feel like she could have that vibe. Like, uh, uh, what's uh, Holland Taylor could do it. Mm. Uh, Angela Bassett would be fabulous at it. Like, there's a wide range of women that could absolutely deliver every single line of dialogue with a virtual martini in her hand. And I think that any of those would be good options. I would maybe remove the dad of it all only because the dad remarrying and having the new wife plot line to me is the least interesting of all of the stories. Yeah, it we really got nothing from that. It Mm -mm. took but a pretty large amount of real estate, too, that could have been put towards like, I'll I'll spend that time in space. Thank you. Next time around. Agreed. It it didn't give us anything new about like we don't really learn anything new about Jenny through the process. It does make Jenny marginally unlikable in the process, too, which is a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, we don't need it. it we don't need it. Because Chloe, the, the new wife, seems perfectly fine, except for the fact that she's obviously like two years older than Jenny, but like, we don't need it. It's a very 90s, no, no. It's a very 90s convention. But yeah, I like that. I, I had gone Brie, Brie Larson as Jenny. Oh, yes. Mostly because I feel I'm like really... we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. 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 There's like, I think that both of those would be great options. I just really want to see Brie in a disaster movie. I think that she's, she'd be really fun for it, but. I think that she'd do really well with Grounded versus the sort of bananas stuff for the same reason that Allison Williams would, where she just kind of like, there's something about her that's just a little too edgy and not like cutting edge edgy, but there's a little bit too much of an edge to her personality. A little bit of brittleness that, yeah, I think would work really well in this. Yeah. And the only other thing, the only other casting that I personally had was Blair Underwood as um, the president. Oh, I like it. Let's bring him back. You know, Blair Underwood was one of the crewmen. Uh, in and addition to John Favreau, one of the like, ones, yeah, yeah, I wanted more from him. I wanted a lot more from him. Like totally. great actor, so like just so enjoyable to watch on screen. Uh huh. Make him president. He could deliver that speech. Absolutely. I would. I would trust a Blair Underwood in this situation. So he was the one that was like, "Okay, let's bring back Blair Underwood." And like, if we're rebooting, and it can be a fun little wink. But yes, I think that he he would have the appropriate gravitas and like can deliver that monologue, which is a, a difficult thing to do to explain how a comet works and how we're going to change its rotation and stuff. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I couldn't, I, I would imagine like, I always just, I'm like, eh, one of the Stranger Things kids. I don't know, any of them. So I did that for Elijah Wood too. I okay. was like, because there's like a physical resemblance between yes. him and I think it's um Finn Wolfhard. Like yeah. they have like that similar like kind of like like they both could really do like a yes I actually identified Mm -hmm. something in space and it's believable because I can kind of be like awkward but also very smart but also sort of like this like romantic hero for teens they're floppy nerds we love a floppy nerd (laughs) yeah you you said it concisely for me (laughs) (laughs) 
And then for um, Lily Sobieski's character, I mm-hmm. want someone again who just like has a little bit more um, bite to them. Yeah. So I was thinking um, the lead in Never Have I Ever. Uh, oh, Maitrey Ramakrishnan. Yes. I feel like she would be really fun, and like, I just feel like, and we give her more lines. Can I make a suggestion like, for that? Yes, let's gender swap it. Let's make her Leah. Leah Bader. Yeah, I'm in. I yeah, like. I, I want to see her spiral over the fact that she has discovered a planet ending. Like there's because there's separately yes. a whole thing of like, imagine being the teenager who discovers the the comet that's going to destroy the planet. In addition to the fact that, yes, you'll get bullied in school if it doesn't destroy the planet. Like what's the psychological toll that takes on you realizing? Yeah, we do not see it. that. No. And she, no. Could, she could handle both like the emotional spiral as a funny thing and also as like the tragedy of it. So, yeah, I like. I, yeah, I, like. Great when he's held up as like the hero in school and like the Mm -hmm. one kid's like you're gonna get a girlfriend like I feel like she can do like the I want to see her on that stage but then also I like want to go back with her like talking to her parents and being like the what is going to happen to all of us and should I get married as a 14 year old in order to save the person who I have a huge crush on like I she can carry that weight on her shoulders. Um, I'm very into the gender swap here. I am done. And then my president, I think it could be a little funny to keep it Morgan Freeman just because like (laughs) he is like the age of a president now. (laughs) Um, But if I am recasting it, I like Sandra Oh. I feel like she could give that speech as well. Like she can explain things fantastically. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like I would watch her standing in front of like a destroyed tsunami building telling me to rebuild and believe it. Ooh, I I would I would follow Sandra o into any any situation, any disaster. So yeah, I'm in. I yeah. love that idea. I I love I I I can see her also doing the leaning over the desk with the sleeves rolled up yes. like America that <laughs> the, the critical scene. Work. I just like I can see her doing it with like that heavy sigh and the same sort of sense of like the weight of the world um, and the failure. And like I can completely see her nailing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get. Yeah. Let's get Sandra Oh, a Golden Globe for a disaster movie. Yeah. And I want her delivering that news and I am devastated. But also I'm like, how does her hair look so good? Because her (laughs) hair is like so fantastic in that moment while she's pushing up her sleeves. And I'm just like, I'm so sad. But also. I I can't can stop watching. Yeah. No, I mean you still you look and you're like, but but her curls are fantastic in this moment. Right. Yeah. Right. Even oh, in I... DC, <laughs> all the humidity. <laughs> I am super in on this. I really like like love the Sandra O as a casting choice. I always get to cast her in things for fantasy casting. Yeah, I think a great workhorse casting choice. Get her in a disaster movie. Let's do it. Like yeah. she has such range already. But this is you know. Everyone needs a disaster movie. Yeah. And this one, she doesn't have to like outrun anything. She just has to stand at podiums. She can do it. Right. Right. Let her be president. Crew member wise, I was coming up a little empty again. I think maybe it could be fun to replace the Robert Duvall character with Gerard Butler. Just like, again, as like a wink to disaster movies. And also like 
I feel like he is slowly moving into like the aging disaster dad role. Mm-hmm. We've seen him like straddling that line, but I want yeah. him to embrace it a bit here and be like, I am here to shepherd the young disaster heroes into their like rightful place. Um, yeah. I but like I was like, yeah, I didn't have a ton of other people. Yeah. And which I think kind of speaks again to sort of the like the fact that most because most of the time when we're watching these like when we do the fantasy casting as you did here of like you weren't necessarily looking for someone who's identical to elijah wood it's that same vibe of his character which is floppy yes. nerd floppy nerd <laughs> and with the cast with the crew of the space shuttle for the most part we never spend enough time with them to know who they are enough to fantasy cast them because they're just kind of like yeah. interchangeable bodies yeah yeah yeah, no, I I think that's that's reasonable not to have fantasy casting, and also speaks again to the uh, an issue with the movie itself. Yeah, I think in this fantasy cast movie, we have the gender swap, maybe like mm-hmm. a little bit. We are missing the second wife or the dad. We're getting more time and space, and we're just like, yeah, we're getting some characters with depth in here, and maybe seeing how all this would happen with social media, which seems terrifying. Oh my god, it would it would be a mess <laughs> it would be. the trying to figure out verified sources on twitter during <laughs> like a minor like uh, hurricane hillary was nothing and i could not figure out what was real news and what was not i if the world were ending it would they would have to nationalize twitter that would be the only option the only way to actually i mean like, that, sure- that's a movie in itself is nationalizing <laughs> twitter <laughs> A disaster movie in itself, really. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then, um, do you have any? Like, that's we've got the fancy casting. This brings us to how many towering infernos you give? You give deep impact. How many are we going with today? I I struggled with this a little. Okay. I landed on a three point five because you know after I did my full rewatch of it, I sort of felt like. I don't know if I would watch this again. The dog left behind that, that got me. Sure. But like I said, then I was on a plane and I saw it was an option to watch and I did watch it again. So that's where I feel like the 3.5 comes in. Like there's some parts in there that felt very real. Um, I like the overall idea of like community and emotion and all of that being a part of your disaster movie I feel like that's a really great message to take away and I think it's rare sometimes that I watch a disaster movie I'm like a good message Mm -hmm. so those are all positives to me the rewatchability wasn't like a factor I felt sold on but yeah 3.5 I have a feeling the director's cut would be higher but we're going with the 3.5 for now that's I, I think a very reasonable number for it. I, I'm going three point five to three point seven five. Um, just okay. I tend to I tend to grade high on things. Um, but I think three point five is very reasonable. That's where I was kind of falling on it. Um, yeah, for pretty much the same reasons you said. It's a great AMC movie. There's a reason that this is such a, a classic for AMC at this point. It's one you can turn on at any point and you'll watch like three scenes and be very satisfied with. But yes. it's not a movie that, even as I sat and rewatched it again. And I'd watched it previously um, for back in like January for screen drafts. Um, we had done Steven Spielberg produced but not directed movies. And this is produced by Steven Spielberg, but is not directed right. by him, obviously. Um, and so I had rewatched it for that 
for that screen drafts episode and we did get it on i did get it specifically onto the screen drafts list and every guy on that screen drafts was pissed off about it he did not <laughs> care that was my goal that and twister i was like i'm getting both disaster movies oh, on this, whether or not they like it my love it was it was incredible they, i've never seen those guys look so furious it was fantastic <laughs> um, but uh you know i rewatched it in january and i rewatched it again t- this weekend um and it was good and it was enjoyable but it isn't one that is something that i'm like man every time i watch it i am struck again by what a great time i have watching it or like by how moved i am by it it's very competent it's not as bad as people think it is but it's it's 3.5 it could have been yeah. better it's not bad it's just not the greatest yeah it's not long but it feels long yes that's not that's, that's not, not what great. you want and no. i think like you said Agreed in that, like, it's a perfect AMC movie. I want to watch a few scenes from it. Like, when mm-hmm. I was on the plane and I just saw the ending, like, the water and the speech at the end, like, that was that was nice. I don't think I need all of it if I'm doing a rewatch. Like, the idea of sitting down and pressing play from the beginning, that's probably not going to happen for me anytime soon. But yeah. I'm going to enjoy, like, dipping a toe in every now and then if I'm given the option. I, and I, I think that's a completely – I that's – that's, I think, the way to watch Deep Impact. So yeah. we're in agreement. So 3.5, that's the score for Deep Impact. And a, I think a score that most, like, in the in the late 90s, no one would have given it, been that high on it. It's not, this isn't like no. a begrudging 3.5 either. This is like a, it's a solid 3.5. It's just never going to no. move up to four. And as I follow this NASA news, will I potentially watch it again to be like, so how could this go? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> it's true. This could become more relevant, uh, depending on what exactly. And now I do, I do need to finish reading that article now to be like, huh, well, should we be concerned? What are we talking about here, guys? <laughs> yeah. When this episode comes out, I will post the link on social media to it so that Perfect. everyone can follow along because there is a very strange synchronicity in that. Like there is a high school student who is tracking this as yeah. well. So like we're, there's weird shades of deep in- impact in this news. So yeah, there's a surprising tuned, amount everyone. of overlap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm not great. Not what you want to hear is that there's a surprising amount of overlap with deep impact in the news. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Colleen, before I send you on your way, is there anything you want to promote? Where can we find you? Um, is anything that you want to share that you can direct people toward? Yes. So like I said, I am a disaster-focused journalist. Um, I'm a freelancer, so I write kind of all over the place, but I do have my own newsletter. It's called My World's on Fire. And every week I talk about different aspects of disasters. I talk to lots of super interesting experts and researchers and community members. So I'd love for people to check that out. You can find all my stuff on my website, which is ColleenHaggerty.com, including that newsletter. And then I'm on the socials. I am at Colleen Haggerty on Twitter. For those of you still on there, um, at Colleen Haggerty on Blue Sky, at Colleen CH, Colleen Ch, on Instagram. Regret that one at this point in my life. Um, <laughs> but I think that's, yeah, I think that's about all the places that I'm actually active these days. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so fun. Thank you so much for being here. And I'll be back next week with Clay Keller from the Screen Drafts podcast, uh, which I had actually mentioned earlier in this episode. And we will be talking about the movie Daylight, starring Sylvester Stallone from 1996.
In the meantime, uh, if you haven't already, check out the Disaster Girls shop at disastergirls.myshopify.com. Um, there are the great no, Ch no Thoughts, Just Chomp shirts and mugs and stickers um, where the profits all go to Minorities in Shark Sciences, which is Jada Elcox's um, organization. So head over there if you haven't before. Um, please give us five-star rating and review because it's very helpful to getting more attention to the podcast, which gives me reason to keep doing it. Um, and then, of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Amanda Smith Says, although I'm no longer actively posting. Um, and then I am Amanda Smith on Blue Sky as well. And then the podcast is Disaster underscore pod on Twitter or Disaster Girls on Blue Sky. And uh, you can email me at Disaster... Uh, was it disastergirlpod at gmail.com? Yeah, mostly got this right. And uh, I'll see y'all back next week for daylight. Bye.